Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvest and Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend and uh, and crew. Uh, we're here tonight for Crew Chat, and uh, we're going to be talking about some cool preservation methods uh, for your meat, fish, wild edibles, fruit juices, mushrooms, vegetables anything like that um really uh, hope that everybody's got a full freezer uh and that you're, you're thinking about ways to make room other than cooking and if so that this is the perfect episode for you because we're going to talk about canning and pickling which are really great ways to free up some space in the freezer preserve your food for a little longer uh to do a little meal prep um make sweet delicious jams and pickled vegetables and meats and all kinds of stuff so anyway super excited about this episode I've, I've had it on the list to talk about for a while and i'm glad we're uh glad we're finally getting to cross it off the list so uh i will lead off with some news for me so i two weekends ago was in pennsylvania uh hunting flintlock season there with Corey and his uh his amigos from uh northwest pennsylvania we had a blast uh we recorded a podcast episode which released preceding this one so roll back one episode and you list the full details of all the the trials and tribulations that i had uh trying to one get there and two uh get out in this uh in the weather and, and do some deer hunting. So great episode. Awesome to go hang out with those guys. Great folks. Uh, was super excited to shoot a flintlock for the very first time. Uh, super fun. It's, it's everything you think it would be like you picture the old movies like mountain man and all these other things. And those guys carrying around flintlocks. Actually, I don't know if mountain men carried around flintlocks. They may have done percussion caps or lever actions, but whoever preceding that, the folks that did it uh super fun it's like a click fizz boom uh in that order uh there's actually a cool video over on our instagram channel that you can see of me shooting it and i did a nice little slow motion uh shot uh of, of the gun going off so pretty neat did you have any but, problems with the cold and it not going off no so the great thing was is that it was a uh it was a dry day where we went out uh so the day before when i got there it snowed we hunted that evening i shot it no problem uh the next day there was snow on the ground it was sunshiny but it was dry so uh there were no no powder issues throughout the day uh never had an issue with mine or, or anybody else's there were other mechanical issues as always but um but yeah, that's neat. We launched uh, we launched our cooking classes to uh, last week. I did the first one, um, and super excited uh, to share some more. Adam, you actually have a cooking class coming up. Uh, it would be this week, the week that this podcast episode comes out. Uh, actually, tomorrow, Thursday, the twenty seventh. You have a, a a class. Can can you give us a rundown of of what you're teaching? Yeah, so it's basically a, a bass coconut lime soup. Um, I catch a lot of bass where I live here, uh, so I have a couple in the freezer still. Um, you can't catch them through the ice, obviously, but I've saved a couple. Um, but this recipe could be used with any white fish with 
pike or, or walleye or, or even grocery store fish. So uh, uh, it's just really easy, simple kind of like coconut soup or chowder with uh, some Thai seasonings and white fish. And it's really easy weeknight kind of meal and super tasty. So, yeah. Trout? Yeah, trout would work good. Trout or salmon. Basically, any fish would work in this chowder. It's just a really nice uh, kind of Thai-inspired broth, um, which any fish would, would fit nicely into. So, yeah, come on by and, uh, and join up for the class. It'd be great. I might yeah, need to you take can, that uh, one. Let's finish frozen. What, what did you say, Emily? I said I might need to take that class. I have a bunch of frozen fish that I haven't used. Boom, do it. Yep. We did a... So to sign up for those class, I'll, I'll, I'll plug the class. So to sign up for the class, go over to harvestnature.com slash cooking classes, and uh, you can sign up there. That gives our full lineup for the entire spring semester, so you can sign up for other classes too if you'd like. Uh, and then also, um, I was going to say, I made uh, Hank Shaw's uh, salmon risotto last night. Uh, I saw it pop up on Facebook, and... Uh, decided to do it and I used smoked trout and some leftover salmon that I had and uh I think his recipe calls for a pesto and I didn't have a pesto but I'd made a chimichurri uh, a mm. little bit before that so I used that and uh it, it was pretty good it's pretty good everybody enjoyed it in the house so um not like some risottos get super salty this one uh was not uh seasoned very well white wine uh was good use a nice uh pinot grigio or pinot grigio however you say it depending on where grigio. you are is it grigio or grigio it's grigio grigio grigio, grigio. <laughs> that sounds like greek yogurt no i i've seriously heard people pronounce it that way really yep Maybe I've been pronouncing it wrong. I've always heard Grigio. I, I don't know. Uh, I've heard it both ways. So I'm I'm not a sommelier, uh, so I don't know. <laughs> um, but no, it, it was pretty good. I was excited about that. Um, let's see. What else did I want to say? Oh, uh, magazine. So big news. We've been announcing this for a while. Uh, by a while, I mean three weeks. I uh, haven't formally announced it on social media yet, but I should. Probably will this week. Look for that. But uh, we're going to be releasing a magazine, a quarterly magazine starting in March. Uh, it's going to be available digitally and print on demand. So we'll offer digital subscriptions. You can get that. So basically like all the same great content that you get through Harvest Nature, just like really polished and really awesome uh adam's already signed up to be a contributor i'll be contributing as well we're gonna have recipes adventure stories how to's tech reviews pretty much all the cool things uh that that get excited we're gonna talk about conservation news all these other things so um i'm pretty excited pretty excited it's a good work in progress we've been putting a lot of effort into it so it'll be cool to see it come out come to fruition and then um, also, too, probably next month, we'll say February, February, early March, uh, keep an eye out for our first of the Spice Blends. We're going to be releasing the Big Game Blend, uh, which will be available for sale in like a five-ounce bottle. Uh, it'll be a sweet little uh, blend that we've, we've hand-chosen to go well with all your meats, be it hooved, antlered, or furred. That came out wrong, but anyway, <laughs> uh, with hide or hair, uh, should be good to go. But anyway, that'll always be there. And then as always, we do uh, hats for reviews. So if you go to whatever podcast platform you're listening to and, and punch that five-star button and, and leave us a written review, we'll read that on the air, share your opinion with the world, and uh, then we'll call out your name. You go over to our website, to our store. For those that haven't gone to the store, you should go. It's some cool stuff there. And then you'll pick out a hat and you'll say, you'll shoot us an email at what's cooking at harvestingnature.com and you'll say, hey, I would like this hat. And we will uh, send you a hat in the mail for free as a thank you for the review because the reviews really help us out. They help us uh, get all all the attention on, on the podcast platforms, which is good. So that concludes i think what i have to say i've said a lot so i will go around and uh mm -hmm. give you guys the opportunity to uh update uh what's going on in your neck of the woods so emily you go first 
So we have, uh, we're sponsoring a run and gun or helping sponsor a run and gun coming up in February here local. And then in March, we're going to go back to Texas again and we're going to go with a crew called Woods to Table. They're from the East Coast, I think South Carolina, I can't remember. Um, but we're going to do a collab with them on YouTube and go down there and predator hunt. So that's going to be pretty exciting. And we actually gifted them the hog book by Jesse Griffiths because they won our contest and take them hog hunting while we're down there. And then we got the bear hunt in June as long as Canada's borders stay open. So I think that nice. is our up and coming stuff that we've got going on. Cool. Uh, past stuff. Past anything, stuff. Anything? Oh, past we, stuff. Uh, we, we took a couple of uh, guys that Ryan was in Iraq with. They're twins. One's from California. The other one's from Arizona. And we went to Texas and they had never hunted before. And so we took them hunting and they got a pig hunt. They got a predator hunt. They got a deer hunt. And I think between the two of them, they took home, what was it? Six deer maybe and two pigs. I don't know. They definitely have a freezer full. So we taught them how to hunt, taught them how to process. We cooked all wild game while we were there. We had a heck of a time. It was a lot of fun and got them out into something that they had never done before. So that was a lot of fun. And then Ryan getting to see them and after he hadn't seen them in a long time was also really neat. Nice. That's awesome. Sounds really fun. Adam, so uh, what, what what have you been up to? What do you got planned? Well, the um, hunting's pretty much over up here in Ontario, um, other than maybe a little bit of small game like rabbit, which will be closing soon. Um, I wasn't lucky enough to get a deer this year, but I do um, a lot of butchering for friends and family and neighbors and everything, so I ended up with lots of deer in the freezer through uh, the gener generosity of all of them. So. I got a freezer full of venison and goose and grouse, which is kind of nice. And now the ice is all ready, so we've been um, ice fishing lately, uh, which is the, the thing right now. But uh, we just got a crazy snowstorm blow, blew through, so now I'm going to be snowshoeing out on the ice thing to get anywhere because there's several feet of snow throughout everything. So, uh, But I think tomorrow I'm going to be going out and targeting uh, walleye and burbot on a different lake than, than mine because... I can only catch perch and pike in the winter on my lake. Um, so we're going to be heading to a different lake and trying to get some burbot because I've never actually tried them before. So I'd love to catch them and try cooking them. And that's pretty much it for me. How thick is Ooh, the nice. ice? Uh, I think we're sitting at 10 inches or so right now, 10, 11 inches. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> I would die. <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I have a manual... Oh, it's a good workout, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I, I think... Uh, I, on my we're, we're I think I may go, not this weekend, but next weekend. They're doing something through the MWR program here uh, where I work, and uh, there's a ice fishing trip. I've never been, but it was like, I think, 40 bucks or so to go. Uh, super inexpensive, so I may, cool. may hop on that opportunity and go check it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we have like four or five inches, maybe six inches of ice here, depending on where you're at. If you're higher up in the mountains, it stayed pretty cold. It, it's been kind of off and on warm here. Um, I did do some goose hunting this last weekend unsuccessfully. Uh, I was on a time crunch, so I only got to stay for a little bit and only one flock, uh, flew over and they were still a little high, but the pond I was, uh, hunting at wasn't completely iced over. So, um, uh, unfortunately though, I think all the ducks have moved south. Except for the residents, maybe. But we had enough ice last year here that we could walk on ponds and small really? lakes. Yeah, it was crazy. It was super weird. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I this is the first time I've lived in a place that's had a significant amount of ice, so it's it's very interesting. Adam, I think I need to come up there and ice fish, and then you can come down here and you can pig hunt. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you. Come ice fish, and uh, I'll let you drill the holes with my auger. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some canning here. Uh, we'll, we'll jump it off and kind of go through the, I guess, the more informational part of it. Um, 
So when you think about canning, what is canning? Um, a, a good definition is a food preservation method where the food is processed and sealed in an airtight container. Uh, the most common airtight containers, probably your like ball or Mason jar, uh, with the, you know, the, are they classified as self sealing lids? I think that's the actual definition of them. But, um, basically it's like, a a two part lid system. So you've got the one part that kind of sticks to the top of the container and the other part screws down on there and, and tightens down and, uh, you, you seal it through uh heat and pressure and that's also one of the ways in which you prevent your food from spoiling and and adds to the preservation and uh average shelf life being one to five years although i've never seen anything that's five years old i don't know have you guys seen anything that old or eaten anything that old yes yeah so we can we can bear meat in 20 18 I think it was maybe it was uh-huh. 2019 I mean so it's not quite five years old but it's getting up there in age and has been perfectly fine and it's just been st- it sitting age? out in the garage does it age like a fine wine <laughs> I hope not <laughs> uh, how about you Adam have you have you eaten anything dating in the five-year range before yeah, I think I'm up to um, maybe eight years or nine years with a but a jam, not meat, which I felt a little safer with. But uh, yeah. I had I made it a long time ago and okay. I moved it around the country with me and packed it up everywhere I went and it ended up in the back of a cupboard for a long time. And I eventually found it. It was actually a, a pin cherry jam, and that had completely discolored. But when I opened it up, it still smelled fresh, and I tasted some, and it was still good. So so I. Uh, took a chance and ate it and suffered no ill effects from it. So um, I don't know if I'd recommend other people doing that, but I, I took a bit of a chance with it. And uh, yeah, it was still tasty. It just, it was a little brown and after that long. Yeah, I imagine, uh, I think even at some point, like the jars still give way a little bit to oxidation as well. And I think that's probably what would cause that. But um, so thinking about the ways in which you can, so we have two different ways. We're well, three different ways we're going to talk about today. Uh, really, so you got boil your boiling water canners, which can be as something as simple as a pot full of water that you put sealed jars in and boil them for a, a set amount of time based on elevation and uh, the whatever recipe and your contents and stuff. And then you also have a pressure canner and the pressure canners, uh, you know, very much like a pressure cooker create pressure inside the, the pot, which then are matched by whatever the contents of the jar. And then that's then used to seal, um, seal the jar, kill any bacteria and it's all this other stuff. And to kind of understand sort of how it all works, when you look at how food spoils, so food spoils mainly from like bacteria, molds, um, you know, imperfections, uh, insect damage, things like that getting inside the food. Uh, you've got food enzymes, which are natural occurring enzymes that start to break down because when you think about food over time, uh, especially like fruits and vegetables, like their decay is you know, not part of the natural organic process of, of the circle of life. And, um, as that happens, uh, you know, it, it breaks down. And so that's why we want to eat food fresh because you're getting the most vitamins, most minerals out of it, all the other stuff. The other thing is what I mentioned, uh, reactions with oxygen. So oxidation is very common as, uh, you cut something open or break it apart, uh, as it, it gets exposed to oxygen, it starts to break down as well. And then moisture loss. So things dry out, get dry, get, gross and crinkly and cracked and all that other stuff so that's really kind of the major ways that food spoils and so canning is really was invented and has been modified over time to address those things so 
uh, one thing you always want to do is like you're using fresh foods, you're washing and making sure everything's clean. Uh, some recipes are going to call for acids because you're going to want a, a certain balance of pH in there inside the jars. You want to make sure that you're using good jars and lids and that you're processing in boiling water pressure for the appropriate periods of time to one kill bacteria uh, and meet whatever pressure thresholds that you you have. But um, I think what, what what is one bacteria or one thing that you guys think of when you when you think of canning, like an associated illness or sickness think of um <clears throat> clostridium botulinum which is uh the what causes botulism basically which is uh seems to be the number one problem with with home canning uh in terms of, of illness and and potentially death um and that's that's the one thing that you really want to avoid when you're when you're doing it yeah, I I think uh, I, I think about that <laughs> every time I open a can of uh, home canned food and say a little prayer to myself and uh, then dig in. But um, you know, I would say that a lot of tried and true recipes over time have a, have evolved to address this. There's there's always a chance, but um, you know, following proper practices and and really doing research and understanding the process and is probably the best way. Uh, I will say this, I'll go ahead and give my disclosures. Like don't take what we say to heart, uh, when it comes this way, like you, you assume your own risk when you're doing this and that you have to, uh, do proper amount of research so that you can understand really what's going on. Make, just make sure that you're, you're looking at your elevation and the appropriate amount of time. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about elevation and how it plays into pressure, but um, definitely on that, make sure you're researching. Research, research, research. So, um, I don't know. Do you guys have any any other disclosure type thoughts for the process? Yeah, reading, you know, whatever pressure canner you have or whatever you're using, you know, read the manual and use what they say, like, just because the Pinterest recipe says 90 minutes to 10 pounds of pressure doesn't mean that that's what your pressure canner is going to be rated for, for the meat or jams or jellies or fish or whatever you're doing. So I think that's something that you need to do a little bit of your own research on and not take what we're saying to heart when it comes to specific times and, and pressure. Sure. I think the um, one thing that I tell people who are getting into canning is to be very afraid of botulism and don't sweat it at the same time which is kind of conflicting advice but uh but don't mess around with it if you follow YOLO. <laughs> if you follow the the instructions set out by like the manufacturers by the usda and everything you're not gonna ever have a problem so just you know like respect respect the rules uh learn what you're doing figure it out and once you know what you're doing um it's it's super easy. It's super easy. So just have a healthy respect for for the potential for uh, badness when it comes to it. And if you follow, do the right your homework and you follow the right instructions and do it properly, you never have to worry about it. So that's kind of the way I, I approach it. <laughs> yeah, I I think about it from a very systematic standpoint too. Is like, you know, you follow a recipe, but it's like you kind of have to follow the instructions to a T to include like the after part of it, like checking your seals to make sure everything's good, uh, you know, uh, make sure you're washing everything before and after and you're uh, sterilizing and all these other things. Like there's lots of steps and just, I think the biggest thing is reading through the instructions a couple times to make sure that you're prepared to like follow the process as it goes through and that you kind of have everything set up to go. It takes the stress out of it. It's like, all right, I got my jars here, got my lids here, got my ingredients here. I got my, you know, pot on the stove or everything set and I'm ready to go. And then I start versus like, sometimes, you know, you could scramble and just put everything together as you're cooking. But I think in this instance, it's better to have everything sort of laid out and prepared, ready to go before you actually start the process. So, with that, let's talk about the process of canning. Um, so I mentioned two methods earlier. I, Emily and I can talk more probably to the uh, the pressure canning 
portion. So I, I've done it before. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about my experience when we talk about the meat. But uh, essentially pressure is you're adding a bit of water, a bit of vinegar, and then putting you know uh, a measured amount of pressure, your contents of the jars under a measured amount of pressure for a set amount of time. Is that the best way to summarize it, Emily? Yes. Okay. Anything to add? No, I mean, everything is going to be a little bit different. So that's kind of why I prefaced with, you know, reading your manufacturer's mm -hmm. like guidebook to what, you know, whether it's going to be a water bath or whether it's just going to be like, I guess, what were you calling like a steam bath? I'm not great with the jargon when it comes to it. I just know that lots of water and no water. <laughs> jargon, I see what you did there. <laughs> Little water. Little water, lots of water. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so uh, your water bath would be like fully immersing uh, that, and I'll let Adam hit on that in just a second. And then the uh, steam bath is another method, although not a recommended method anymore. I was reading an article today after some extensive research that, that there may be some, some error in that. Uh, but the pressure method, I guess, is is probably one of the, the safest ways to go. And do you have uh, an electric one or an over-the-flame pressure canner? Both. Both. Nice. Which do you prefer? But the old school. Old I'm school? Not, yeah, I don't trust the new... Like, we have a Ninja Foodie that I absolutely love. Dangfangled science. Right? <laughs> and I and I use it all the time, but I've never canned with it, and I don't feel comfortable canning with it. So I have, like, the original with the lock lid and the weight and everything on it, and I feel way more comfortable using that just because... It's a proven scientific method versus something I've plugged into the wall and I am trusting it to can meat. Like fruit, maybe I wouldn't be so worried about, but I don't feel comfortable canning meat in my Ninja. And Ninja's probably yep. going to like send me hate mail now. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. Maybe they're listening. Um, I, I I have not used the uh, the electric pressure canners. I will say that I have used the over the flame, the, the like traditional pressure canners, and um, yeah, that, that's kind of my experience. They're easier, uh, I think, too. I mean, it's kind of it's a tried and true method, and there's not a whole lot that goes into it. I mean, the process is long, but it's simple. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of what we were talking about. Like Adam mentioned, like kind of learn it, but trust it. And I think that that's, that's tried and true. Um, Adam, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the kind of water baths or water canning? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I read earlier today that the USDA recommends that you don't use multi-use cookers for pressure canning meat. Um, I know a lot of people who do, and there's no problem. So it's one, once well, again... <laughs> take it with a grain of salt whatever but um they recommend using um pressure canners that are meant specifically for pressure canning and not for multi-use cooking purposes so yeah i don't know if i would follow that advice or not but but if you're a, a rule follower definitely that's some information you might want to know um in terms of water bath canning what you're doing is basically taking a jar of of vegetables or fruit or jam or whatever never fish or or meat um, and you're putting it, immersing it in, in hot water, hot boiling water, and raising the temperature to kill off anything. Unfortunately, if the acid level isn't high enough, or the salt level or the sugar level isn't high enough in that, in that thing that you're canning, which is the case for meat and fish, uh, things like vegetables, um, there is a high chance that you could develop uh, botulism in there, which is why they say to always pressure can uh, those types of things. And pressure canning kind of adds heat through pressure and brings it up to a level that kills off that, that bacteria. Um, so, so water canning is, water bath canning is great for jams, uh, vinegar pickles, all that kind of stuff. And there's a, a lot of wild edibles you can actually water can. So like I said, no meat or fish or anything like that, but you can make a, 
you can make uh, like vinegar fiddleheads. You can make um, spruce tips, dandelion bud capers. Um, you can do like milkweed pods, burdock root. There's all sorts of awesome wild edible canning you can do um, without investing in a pressure canner if you're just looking to get into it. Um, yeah, so that's basically it. There's you just want to keep everything sterilized, uh, boil it, and and follow the instructions. And I would recommend going to your local hardware store and picking up one of the kits. Uh, it usually comes with like a big pot, a uh, book that with recipes on how to can, like instructions on how to can recipes. And it comes with a bunch of little tools that will make your life so much easier. Um, I'm not one to fill my kitchen up with tools, but I realized very quickly that my life was way too dangerous and hard without them. Uh, there's like grabbers to take the jars out of the boiling water, which I was using tongs and, and creating such a dangerous, like arm burning situation for myself. Um, you're better off just buying the kit and having the whole thing. It's like 30 bucks or something. And uh, it will set you up for everything you need for home canning. So the lid yeah. mag magnet thing oh, yeah. that I thought was going to be super stupid is like the best thing ever. <laughs> Absolutely. Wait, what is what is this lid magnet thing you speak of? It's just like a stick with a magnet on the end of it that's long so that when you're cleaning everything, when you're boiling everything, you can put the little stick in there with the magnet on the end of it and pull the lids out without having to stick your hand in the water or try to use tongs or something like that. It makes life so simple. Huh. Yeah, I haven't used that. I'm I was with Adam. I'm I'm a tong guy. And I quickly learned the error of my ways. I was like, oh, oh, oops. <laughs> um Yeah, no, he's totally right. Buying that little kit is well worth it. Um uh, so you guys have both done this possibly canning versus pickling. So canning is kind of what we were talking about, either using the pressure canner or uh, using the the water immersion method. I keep calling it something different every time. Boiling water canners, uh, water immersion, whatever you want to call it, that's canning. And it really, it seals. When you're pickling, um, you're adding a vinegar solution of some sort following whatever mixture of dilution required, and you're submerging an object in it. And most pickling... You can pickle some things, although it's not always recommended to pickle meats or fish or things that are prepared in a pickle pickle or brine. Um, but you can make pickles, <laughs> but not always meat. <laughs> well, the, the thing is actually... Um, which can... pickles oftentimes are canned. Uh, you can actually pickle fish and meat. You just can't store it outside of the refrigerator so that's the difference between canning for long term and and pickling in like a vinegar solution or brine is you can go ahead and, and do that with fish or meat and everything but it has to be kept in the refrigerator otherwise it will go bad um where canning gives you a long-term storage outside of the refrigerator um that's kind of where i draw my line on on the description of it yeah and i think um you pointed out probably the most important part that I was trying to hint at but didn't really get to was that uh that the 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 difference being between the two is the storage and so like the vinegar solution is good for only so long you know just as you would cook and prepare anything else and uh have it put so with with meat research and take care uh understand what you're doing because it can create some really bad situations because as you know meat carries far more bacteria than say like your your average vegetable this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and tecovis is your stop for the best in western style tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer including men's and women's boots apparel hats bags and more all Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. 
Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Do you guys want you guys want to talk about canning meat, real quick? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, we've said it several times: do not can meat using the water bath uh, immersion technique. Do not do it. It is not safe. I know there are people that have done it out there before and haven't died, but uh, I would not recommend it. And I don't think any center for scientific research uh that probably studies botulism would recommend it either um my experience uh with it last was i was at the bha rendezvous last year and i taught a whole uh course on canning actually canning venison was what we started with but we actually used they had butchered uh one of the tribes up in montana had butchered a buffalo uh, at the rendezvous and I was fortunate to get my hands on some of the meat and uh, use that to can and I did use a pressure canner I was at an elevation so I had to play the whole like time pressure game um, but uh, did it and uh, successfully so there are two different ways to do it you can have the raw packed uh, way in which it's kind of cooked as you can it or the hot packed method. I don't know, Emily, which way have you done both either or? So I've done both raw cubed meat and then I did a bunch of ground where I cooked it before and then canned it after. So ground meat has to be cooked before and then canned and then cubed meat can go in raw. And the cubed meat it- is so much easier Go ahead. Um, have you done sauce or anything with it? No, I haven't done any sauce with it. The only thing that I added to it was like, you know, some garlic, maybe some seasonings. Um, but like the cubed meat. And the reason why I got into it is like you were saying, freezer space. We had killed a couple bears in Canada that year and we had run out of freezer space. And it was like, we're not going to get through all this meat in time before it gets runt in the freezer. So I was like, well, I'll just can a bunch of it. So I took a bunch of the ground and I canned a bunch of the ground. And then I just took a bunch of like, oh, hindquarter and cubed it up and canned that. And I think, gosh, we went in 2018 or 2019. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I canned a lot of it and we're still eating it and it tastes exactly the same. Didn't have any problems with it. It just stayed out in the garage for, you know, three, four years going on, maybe five if we went in 2018 or whatnot. And it makes life so much simpler because I don't have to thaw anything out. I don't have to cook anything. It's already cooked. All I do is heat it up. And like with the cube stuff, you don't, I didn't have to add any fluid to it. Like the ground stuff, once you grind it up and you cook it, you add it to the cans and then you have to fill it with fluid, you know, so like a beef broth or something along those lines. With the canned stuff, I just put a a little cube of bouillon in it and it was juicy enough that it just cooked in its own juices and I didn't have to add any fluid to it. Yeah, that's, I, I was going to ask you, so with the, the cubed meat, um, I typically just season it just with a little bit of salt and really nothing else because uh, the whole thought of behind it being like the stuff's going to kind of sit in there and, you know, certain spices will build a potency over time. Uh, and so, the, like, the longer it sits in the liquid, the more potent the liquid gets. Did you experience mm-hmm. that with the bouillon? Not with the bouillon, and I didn't add any salt to it because I was afraid, like you were saying, that over time and years that, like, you got it and it was, like, 
salt, you know, salted meat, salt, you know, like mm-hmm. salt pork, something like that. I didn't want the flavor to be super overwhelming, so I didn't add any extra flavors to that except the bouillon cube into it. And I yeah. haven't. It's not overwhelming flavor, overwhelming salt when you taste it now. And I've been really pleased with it, and I need to do it again with a bunch of meat that we have that we've, you know, that's getting older and just go ahead and can it. Yeah, I think, and and two, you can uh, uh, use cuts of meat that are maybe a little more tough. So like something you would do with a roast, you could cube that up and and that would make a good... uh, a good candidate to go in in the jar to be canned and uh what was the other thing i was thinking i really like it the versatility of it because you can do something you know like oh do i want to make beef stew do i want to make you know uh beef stroganoff like or sorry not beef but venison stroganoff or venison stew any of that and and you can really already have the meat prepared and like you mentioned emily it just takes the steps out of it because it's like all right, it's six o'clock on a Wednesday and I need to make dinner for the family or whatever. I just pull the jar out, boom, reheat it, throw some sauce in there, make some mashed potatoes or rice or pasta, and I, we have a full meal and it took like 20 minutes. So Yeah, tacos, um, enchiladas, all sorts of stuff. I mean, it, the it's endless, the possibilities. Yeah. I'm excited about the ground. I'm going to have to do some of the ground. I haven't done the ground before. Uh, I, I really want to do that. And then I was looking today as I was doing some research. I've never done it. Um, there are ways to do it, to do like spaghetti sauce with meat. Um, and that mm-hmm. really, there's like, I got a whole recipe. Jeez, that's a lot. 30 pounds of tomatoes. It's a lot of tomatoes <laughs> if you're going to make it, and uh, only with two and a half pounds of ground beef or sausage. Jeez, it makes nine pints. Wow. But uh, I think you could probably do some research around and, and uh, find a good recipe for that. But you essentially, like, you can put everything in there, garlic, onion, celery, green pepper, mushrooms, all that stuff. Add your uh, your spices in there that you want, your ground meat, and then uh, – you know, you're going to can that there's some elevation gain, uh, adjustments, but it's looking about an hour to do that. And that one you do have to do hot. So you cook everything hot and then you leave it about an inch of headspace at the top of the jar and then, uh, sealing it and then, uh, doing it, uh, pressure canning. So that's got meat in it. So you don't want to do the water bath. Right. And I didn't want to do, the extra steps necessarily because I didn't want to limit myself when I went Mm -hmm. out and got a jar. So I wanted to leave it as simple as possible to leave my options open for cooking for whatever meal that I had cooked up that evening. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That way it gives you more flexibility. Yep. So, uh, I will say a a good resource recommendation, uh, I've got it pulled up. That's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at and have done some research on outside of my own stuff is, uh, the national center for home food preservation. Um, it's a, uh, where's it at the university of Georgia. So they, they do a lot of study. They've got some good how to guides, uh, and it extends beyond just uh, just canning. Like they've got freezing, drying, curing, smoking, fermenting, pickle, jams, jellies, all that stuff. So uh, good resources there if you want to take a look at that website. Uh, aside from what we're talking about, is actually so one thing. Kind of thinking about I mentioned earlier was the the pH balance, and that has to do with acidity in the food itself, and that's going to play a lot uh, into what Adam's going to we're going to talk about when we get to sort of like wild edibles, when we start thinking about jams and jellies and things like that. And I've had experience with that where I've had to add acid to a recipe before I, I created it and canned it. But, uh, I did want to talk about pickled fish, uh, as we move through our conversation here and Adam, you've got experience pickling fish. I know the process, although I've never done it. It's always at the top of my list. It just never, never gets done. Uh, can you walk us through pickling fish? Sure. Uh, so this, what we're talking about now is no longer pressure canning, but but pickling for the refrigerator. So we're we're basically pickling in a in a brine or a vinegar and and flavoring the fish that way, and then storing in the fridge. And it does increase the life of the product for um, a few months. 
but not for years on a shelf. Um, the one of the benefits to pickling fish, other than the flavor, which is great, um, if you've ever had like a pickled herring or something like the Dutch and Danish everyone like to eat, is kind of similar. Uh, but the process actually um, disintegrates the the pin bones and Y bones in in uh, fish like pike. So if you don't feel like filleting them in a special way to remove them all, you can just pickle uh, the pike and it will actually just dissolve those bones, which is really nice. Um, so basically what you do, and, and you can do this with pretty much any fish, but pike works really good. Uh, carp, you can actually do um, smelt, like little fish. Um, or you can do oily fish like like mackerel and, and herring. Um, basically, you take the fish, put it into a salt brine, so salt and water, and let it sit for overnight or a few days, depending on which recipe you're following. Uh, and then you pack it into jars, pour over a vinegar solution. Uh, so it's sugar and vinegar and probably salt, whatever spices. Some people use just the store-bought pickling spice blends, or you could customize it to your own thing. Uh, you leave that in a fridge for a couple days, and then you have pickled fish, and it's it's really delicious. It's good with just you know like saltine crackers. Um, it will last in their fridge. Uh, I had one jar that lasted me, I think three months, and it was still still pretty good by the end of that. So um, it does get more um, stronger in flavor the longer it sits. So you probably want to eat it within a month, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really cool way to preserve some of your fish, especially if you're catching, like, you know, a bunch of pike through the ice and you you want to do something different with it. Uh, pickling fish is a really good way to do it. And there's lots and lots of recipes online. I'd recommend uh, um, Hank Shaw's is a good one. Uh, there's one thing, though, that if, you were, if we're talking about food safety, you can take a chance on it. But uh, one good thing to do is to freeze that fish for in the deep freezer for a few days before you pickle it. Because it is essentially still raw, so you're not cooking it. And there is a small chance that you could pick up uh, some bad um, bacteria or um, or some nasties in there. So if you freeze it for a few days, that clears that problem. And then you can go ahead and pickle it after that. So, yeah, that's pickling fish. Yeah, and I think... Uh... You know, uh, you can pickle a variety of things to include cucumbers, which eventually turn into pickles, but we'll talk about the vegetables here in a little bit. Um, I also wanted to talk about canning fish. Um, have either of you ever canned fish? I've never canned fish, but I, I've enjoyed canned fish before uh, that someone else has, uh, particularly uh, while I was in BC, uh, First Nations woman gave me a a jar of uh, traditional smoked salmon that she had canned. And it was one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. I still remember that to this day. So uh, you can can smoke fish too with really good results. Apparently <laughs> you that's, that is awesome. Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Smoked salmon uh, is, is magical. And I would imagine that canned smoked salmon would also be equally well uh, delicious. I, in doing some research, there are uh, the most common method. So you can can pretty much any fish. Once again, you're going to be doing the pressure canning. Um, so you're going to want to do that for the same reason that you're pressure canning meat. Like it's still bacteria. You can, uh, you can leave the skin on. You can take the skin off. If you're doing it with skin on, you want to put the skin side next to the glass. Still leave your same one-inch headspace. Um, for most of your fish, you're, you're going to um, not add any liquid to. I did see that the... Uh, is it mm, the University of Alaska? They have, through their process of, of canning fish, they have a recommendation that for halibut, you can use uh, some, is it, uh, da, 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 where was it? Uh, four tablespoons of vegetable oil or olive oil per quart jar. And uh, it says the canned product will see moisture. However, the oil will increase the caloric value of the fish. So that's something to think about. I don't know. Uh, I would probably research that a little more. It is intriguing. I haven't done it. Uh, but I know, you know, you can get uh, – it's very common to find fish in oils in, in a lot of different countries. 
you know, thinking about anchovies and, and, uh, you know, tuna belly and things like that, that I've had that were canned in a very traditional, like can tin sense. But, uh, uh, it, it would be interesting to try. I would say that. Um, yeah, but, um, I, I was reading about that actually in, in the, um, the USDA recommends that there's no safe way of canning things in oil at home. So there's commercial canneries that can do it, but canning something in a lot of oil at home can be dangerous because the the seals can break really easily. Um, but you can add a small amount of oil, like the uh, the Alaskan thing you were just talking about. You can add a small amount of oil to to basically lubricate your fish um, to add a little more moisture. But you shouldn't be canning something in straight up oil uh, and leave that to the the canning professionals in in more of an industrial sense. That's what I read anyways. That That's a good tip. I didn't think about it that way, uh, but it does make perfect sense as far as like the quality of the seal, which is pretty much the entire process is dependent on. Um, it's also mentioned like clams, crab meat, oysters, all those things. I mentioned that website earlier. They've got some steps on that uh, there in addition to, uh, in addition to the, the regular fish. So, quite quite a lot you could can if you're really getting into it all right sweet well let's move into the the next exciting part the wild edibles so uh through my brief experience in it i um back coming up for elk season from texas i rode up with aj and we pulled off on the side of the road in texas and uh i harvested about a quarter of a brown paper bag full of prickly pears off uh, some cactus and brought those home and uh, those got turned into smoked jalapeno prickly pear jam uh, which as I mentioned earlier I'd had some experience with adding acid to it uh, because the prickly pears are are lower in acid uh, the recipe I was following uh, recommended adding lemon juice which I did uh, and then I added a little bit of sugar I don't I don't care for overly sweet jams, so uh, it ended up, though, very awesome. Uh, I sent some to Ryan and Emily. I don't know if you guys had the opportunity to try it yet. Not yet. It's in the icebox. I can't wait to try it. Nice. It It is canned, so you don't have to put it. It is good. Officially canned. I did the little boop, boop, a little test with the, the lid and everything. <laughs> so... Um, also, too, when I was up in Pennsylvania last weekend, Corey gave me a, uh, a jar of dandelion jam that he had made back in, uh, I think, the spring or summer. Uh, excited to taste that. The only description I've ever heard of it say that it's like a little slice of sunshine. So I'm waiting for like a really dark, dreary day before I crack it open, uh, which which I hope will be here very soon. <laughs> um, but uh jams jellies wild edibles what what experiences have you guys had uh sand plums was the first thing that i ever canned ever and that was sand plums that i had went and gathered and that's why we ended up getting the canner that we did because i had tried the sand plum jelly and i tried several different kinds like a normal recipe with like the normal amount of sugar and i'm kind of with you justin it was like way too sweet and so mm-hmm. the next one that I did, I did with um, like stevia, and it was terrible, <laughs> and I hated it. And so I just did half sugar after that, and it was perfect. And it was so good. And so, um, and then I had canned some okra that was homegrown that turned out terrible. I don't know what I did wrong, but it was like eating bark off a tree. And not good at all. Really? I need to find a different recipe, apparently, for okra because it was not. It was not good. And pickled okra is, like, one of my favorite things to, like, buy from the store. So I was like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. Like, I can just make my own. And I was like, nope, this is terrible. Never eating this again. (laughs) This is so gross. Oh, wow. Do you think it was was the okra, like, uh, too old? I... I you know how, like, older... older. It was my recipe. I just... I probably just need to try some... I don't know, maybe some store-bought okra to see if hmm. it was the recipe or if it was just the okra, but it was not. It was not good. Hmm, that's a bummer. What about you, Adam? Well, it was actually the, my first canning experience was uh, with wild edibles as well. And uh, I was working in northern Alberta, and there's just wild berries everywhere. 
Um, so I was picking uh, like cranberries and lingonberries and strawberries and blueberries and, and different cherries of all sorts. And I just went nuts and I canned so much of it, uh, mostly into jams. And then I got really excited about it. I just probably had like 100 jars of jam. And then I kind of realized after that all that work that I don't really eat jam. Um, and I now I have 100 jars of it. So that's one one recommendation for people is it, it is very exciting once you get into it. Uh, but uh, make sure you're making what you actually eat. If, if you don't really eat salsa, don't make 50 jars of salsa, even though it's kind of fun, uh, unless you're planning on giving it all away, which is, which is mostly what I did. Um, so from there, I really got into canning, and I, and I got into um, kind of growing a lot of my own food and canning it and, and doing different things and kind of figuring out what I actually really like, which is mostly more the savory side of things. So pickles and, and whatnot. And uh, I've done like, um, you know, fiddleheads. And I've done pickled asparagus, like wild asparagus. Um, you can even pickle things like, uh, you can pickle blueberries. Like instead of making a jam out of them, you can actually pickle the blueberries. Uh, which are really interesting and kind of sweet and savory and salty and cool. And you could serve those with uh, like wild game and a kind of fancier plate. Uh, and it just elevates your game like crazy without actually that much work. It's kind of cool. You can do like uh, uh, spruce tips, uh, pickled spruce tips before. Huh. Um, there's just endless opportunity to do so. You can also make um, like syrups and, and simple syrups out of, out of a lot of these things um, and, and can them like water bath can them. And then have them on hand for cocktails, or to pour over ice cream for dessert, or, or different things like that. So there's like there's a lot you can do with um, just the the wild edibles around you, um, and you can keep them all winter. Like the the dandelions as well. There's all sorts of stuff you can do with dandelions. I made a dandelion syrup uh, this summer, and I mixed it with. I'm trying to remember. I think uh, I mixed it with gin and made like a dandelion gin and tonic, and it was really delicious and bright golden yellow. It was really cool. Um, so, yeah, you can get into cocktails. You can get into desserts. You can get huh. into the dandelion and gin and tonic. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's there's, it's pretty exciting. Um, and then there's all the jams and jellies, which I don't do that often anymore. But, uh, like, think of all the wild berries out there. And not even just berries. You can do get into like crab apples. You can do cedar jelly, um, rosehip jelly, wild grapes. There's like endless opportunities to to go nuts with it if you if you enjoy doing it. Um, it's just finding finding what you like to eat all the time, and then and then making lots of that. Uh, and also, people love getting it as gifts too. So if you do make a little too much, give it away. People people will appreciate it. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a great gift. It's one of those kind of shelf stable things. It's not like you're handing them like, "Hey, here's a uh, T-bone steak. You're gonna need to cook this tomorrow." It's like, uh, "Hey, here's something you know you can throw up in the cabinet and enjoy on a uh, on a special moment." I, that's why I did that prickly pear jam outside of uh, kind of some of the the crew here at Harvest and HS, which I gave it to some of my other friends and one messaged me and was like, Oh my gosh, I was having such a bad day. And then I dug through the fridge and realized that this jam was here and ate it on toast. And it just like made my whole day. And I was like, Oh, that really made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So, um, I assume mine is in the mail. So. Yeah. You're, you're to- totally in the mail. I got a jar for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's stuck at customs. <laughs> um so uh i was gonna ask you uh have you ever done mushrooms either domestic or wild yeah so i've done um pickled mushrooms just for the refrigerator uh so similar to the fish i was describing i didn't i just uh Mm -hmm. pickled them in a brine in a vinegar brine and then just kept them in the fridge and they last in the fridge for months um, but they do take up a fair amount of space. So you can pressure can mushrooms, um, but I find I go through them so fast. Um, and I haven't found so many mushrooms that I need, that I need to can a ton of them. Um, but I've done chanterelles and I've done pheasant back or dried saddle mushrooms. And I've done um, um, puffballs. 
so you can you can get pretty fancy and there's lots of old world kind of eastern european or, or italian recipes you can follow or there's you can just kind of play around with it and do a kind of new world recipe too i was looking at uh there is a canning recipe um for the mushrooms and like leaving small mushrooms whole cutting up the larger ones uh boiling for five minutes to you know in a pan to kind of kill the bacteria and then you take the jars you fill them with the hot mushrooms and this is is recommending or not recommending but like a half a teaspoon per pint jar for flavor and then if you want to kind of maintain the color uh there's some like absorb gosh i can't even speak right now ascorbic acid powder and uh vitamin c i guess that helps maintain the color and then uh then you fill that with hot water and then uh pressure can it uh so very interesting way if you ever find yourselves in an abundance of mushrooms and and want to although this does say don't can wild mushrooms (laughs) (laughs) it does in big bold caution do not can wild mushrooms uh interesting uh i I would be curious to do some more research into that or if you have experience canning wild mushrooms and have not uh had any issues please send us an email uh i would like to explore that a little more in conversation for sure but um hmm I think the pickling probably would be the way to go for me because I, I feel like with I'd be sitting like Adam and, and be going through mushrooms pretty quickly. They go pretty fast at my house already. But um, I don't know. Do you guys have any other thoughts uh, behind any of the things we discussed as far as canning or pickling? I mean, canning sounds kind of like when I started, It was it felt very overwhelming, but in reality, it's not. You know, it's just like anything else, like doing your research and getting the right equipment. And it is a little time consuming at the beginning, but I think the, uh, not really the risk worth the, is worth the reward, but doing that ahead of time has really like helped us in the long run. And so spending a whole day canning, has made life so much simpler over the past several years. And I say years because we have used it for years. And so spending one or two days sitting down and and canning has made it worthwhile. And I'm so glad that I got into it and gotten the right equipment to do it. And I'm still consider myself a novice when it comes to it because I haven't done a whole lot of it. But it is actually very rewarding, just like killing something and processing your own meat it's the same thing with canning like all this work that goes into it you have that memory when you go and eat that meal like hey i did this work i remember that hunt i remember doing all of this work and it just made life so much simpler and enjoyable for this moment right here yeah i i agree i think it's I think, yeah, when I first started doing it and even thinking about doing it for the first time, was just like, holy smokes, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I, I agree with you. Like, it just mellowed out. And it's like, all right, I think I got the process down. I feel comfortable doing it. I still always kind of check my resources and double check it, but mm-hmm. um, it's a good way. I don't know. Adam, what do you got? I think um, for those who are, like, canning curious, um, who – you know, are interested in it, but they might not want to buy all the gear yet, or they're, they're kind of nervous about it, I would recommend trying out quick pickling. Um, and all that is, is making refrigerator pickles. So you basically take one part vinegar, one part water, um, boil it, add some, a little, like a t- teaspoon of salt, and pour it over vegetables in a, in a jar. And put those in the fridge overnight and then eat them for the next week. And that's the simplest pickling you can do. You can, then you can start playing with, you can add sugar, you can add spices and you can just get a sense of what you can do. And you'll find probably that it's very addictive and you'll probably buy a water bath canner and then you'll probably buy a pressure canner after that. Um, so if you want to take it by baby steps, uh, Google quick pickles. There's a million recipes online. I have some on my website. You can just, 
quick pickle pretty much anything in your fridge and elevate your 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 dinners and then from there it's a whole wide world and i think you'll be super excited to to dive into it maybe i need to look at your recipe for canning uh or for pickling because apparently i'm not good at it (laughs) (laughs) we do have a in addition to what adam has i'll i'll we'll he can send me some recommendations of some of his favorites and i'll include them in the show notes and then uh we also have uh a Corey does like pickled ramps uh from pennsylvania which are which are pretty good as well uh that's a good pickling kind of baseline and i think kind of once you play with your pickling spices like adam mentioned way earlier when we first started talking about pickling is like you can play with the spices or you can just kind of use an off-the-shelf pickling spice if you really wanted to so uh lots of flexibility in that but we'll we'll definitely include some of those in the show notes there and yeah kind of this goes along lines with everything else experiment play around with it figure out what you like figure out what you don't like as far as uh you know canning and pickling and then really settle into maybe find a family favorite which is hopeful but as always we kind of just wanted to bring this to the forefront a conversation and and think about really creative ways of enjoying uh the the wild fishing game and edibles and food and stuff that we find and harvest so uh that way we can just continue to really uh accentuate the flavors of of our of our hard work so uh yeah with that uh i thank everybody for listening and uh as always we'll as i mentioned we'll share the show notes will be available online and then head over to social media so we got the way we hunt we got the intrepid eater at Harvesting Nature, all of us, make sure you're following us, following all the great, fun, exciting things that we're doing and uh, we have coming out this year in 2022. And uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, punch that five-star button. Don't forget, hats for reviews, so leave a written review, get a hat, and uh, you know, tell us what we're doing wrong or hopefully tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing but as i've learned no matter where i've been whitetails can be damn tricky pursuing wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.